Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. That Cast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, coming to you from dreary Corvallis. I hate to be that guy, but summer can't get here soon enough. And on the topic of summer and warm weather activities, we're going to cover some baseball on today's show as Oregon State prepares to launch its national title defense this week in Arizona. Steve Gress, sports editor of the Corvallis Gazette Times and my former boss, is kindly going to sit down with me and chat about Oregon State's opening day lineup, along with plenty of Civil War women's basketball. Steve has covered the OC women for the past eight years, and I know he just voted Oregon number one overall in his latest AP Top 25 poll. Yeah. So I'll be curious to hear how he defends that and what he thinks about the Civil War. But before we bring Steve on, I've actually been looking forward to talking a little bit of Oregon State football, or more specifically, Oregon State recruiting, because the past week on Twitter has been fairly interesting from a recruiting perspective. For those of you that are unaware, I'll give a quick recap of Jonathan Smith's first full recruiting class as Oregon State's head coach. The Beavers completed their 2019 class last Wednesday by signing four players, bringing their total number of recruits to 19 for the cycle. The small class is ranked last in the Pac-12 and 68th nationally, and a lot has been made about this group being one of the, late, the lowest rated in program history. It should also be noticed, noted that the ratings do not include transfers, which could end up being the most valuable new pieces for Oregon State. So looking at it on one hand, there is certainly some truth to the rankings. The Beavers only landed three borderline four-star kids in linebacker Omar Spates, tight end Luke Musgrave, and running back Teron Madison, all three of which appear to be terrific players, by the way. But there simply isn't a ton of star power throughout the class, and time will only tell if that's a problem or not. So I think the star system obviously does have merit, and there's no doubt you can't compete for a national title without hordes of four- and five-star recruits. Look no further than Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. But the further you go down the less certain I become of just how effective the rankings are. For example, Washington State, which is coming off another historic season, finished 11th in the Pac-12 and 64th nationally. The Cougars' highest-rated class in the Mike Leach era has been 42nd nationally. But Leach takes those lower-rated recruiting classes, and he's won eight or more games in each of the past four years. And during his time at Oregon State, Mike Mike Riley routinely did the same thing, turning his two- and three-star recruits into all-conference players and occasionally NFL guys. So are are Oregon State's three-star recruits from this cycle, are are they really that much worse than than the players Cal landed or Arizona State or Utah or Washington State? I just don't outright buy that. Some of the local kids are studs who I've already watched play and came away impressed by. And I know the coaching staff does like this group as a whole. All accounts are the the kids are good cultural fits at Oregon State. They want to be beavers. They're all academic qualifiers, which is something I don't think you can overstate. 
So let's just see how this all plays out before we pass too much judgment. And look, if I were a Duck fan sitting on a horde of four-star recruits, I'd probably be mocking all of this too. But Jonathan Smith was forced to recruit guys to a program that had only won nine games in the past four years. I, I don't care who you are. That's not easy to do. So before we just mandate that this coaching staff can't recruit, let's see how they do in the next cycle. Let's also factor in the highly rated transfers that might be starting right away, like quarterback Tristan Jebbia, linebackers Avery Roberts and Addison Gums, wide receiver Tajon Lindsay, and center Nathan Eldridge. It also appears the viewers have secured several high-end walk-ons that should add depth to this you know, depleted roster. So all in all, I think it's fair to point out that the Beavers will need to recruit better if they want to get back to being a bull team. But focusing just on this one recruiting class, Smith's first full class as head coach, and not factoring in the transfers, I think that distorts the picture in my opinion. So the the final verdict to me is this class probably wasn't great, but it might also be better than we think. And I certainly don't think it's fair to judge the staff off just one class. All right, I think that's enough football for the moment. We'll get back on the topic of football as spring practice approaches. But before we get to Steve Gress, I want to encourage all of you to check out thatcast.com where you can find many great podcasts to listen to. As the prep basketball postseason nears, I know I'll be keeping up with the Oregon High School Sports Podcast hosted by Mr. Billy Gates. You can check that podcast out plus many others on thatcast.com. Redline, we're really about training the youth athletes. We're focusing our training business on young athletes between the ages of 8 and 18, so that when they go back out to their sport of choice, they can perform better. Here, we're about building that better athlete. Online at redlineathletics.com. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics. Interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, it might be uh, pouring outside again, but we've got perfect conditions on this uh, Tuesday afternoon inside Guild Coliseum. Um, we've also got the perfect guest coming up right here to talk some Oregon State women's basketball and maybe a little baseball in Corvallis uh, at times sports editor. Is that what your title is these days? Uh, something like that. <laughs> yeah, he does a few different things over there. But uh, yeah, anyway, could not be happier to welcome uh, Steve Gress to the Beaver Buzz podcast. Thanks so much uh, for taking some time, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This should be a lot of fun. Talk some uh, women's basketball with uh, two pretty good teams going at each other in the next uh, next week. Yeah, no kidding. I'll uh, I'll actually go ahead and leave this up to you then. So uh, right below us, we've got uh, some basketball going on. Not the women. Men are kind of wrapping up their practice. But on the women's side, the ninth-ranked Beavers will play at number three Oregon uh, at 6 p.m. Friday and then later host the Ducks. Uh, I believe that's 6 p.m. Monday, correct? 6 p.m. on Big Monday on ESPN oh, or right. ESPN2, one of those two. I'm not quite sure which station it's on, but it's on one of those. Yeah, I think it's ESPN2. Could but be. I, I'm not sure on that. Anyway, women, huge week coming up. And on the baseball end of things, the Pat Bailey era will actually officially begin at noon Friday as the Beavers play in New Mexico in Surprise, Arizona. That will also mark the beginning of Oregon State's national 
title defense. So, Steve, uh, do you want to start with a little baseball, or do you want to jump right into the Civil War showdown? Well, let's, do this, let's do the baseball, because we just talked about it today, and I'm trying to get back into it after you took over for me for three years and did a great job. So i gotta, I got to play some catch-up here. No, that's for sure. We can jump right in. We actually were over at Goss Stadium earlier today to talk to a few of the players. And, Steve, remind me, when did you actually cover the baseball team? So I did 13, 14, 15. Okay, so Steve saw some pretty good baseball. I actually took over for Steve at the Kowalskis at times, covering the baseball team after that, and uh, they certainly piled up some wins during that during that time frame, didn't they? Yeah, we both had some uh, some fun. I mean, that 13 year they went to the College World Series, so I got, I got to experience Omaha. In 14, they were the number one seed going into the tournament, and we all don't want to remember what happened here in the regional. Yeah, although, you see Irvine. Although my wife was pretty happy because we were getting married in July, and she did not <laughs> want me to be gone. So at least I could look on the bright side there. She was at least happy, um, but it was. You know, obviously a disappointing then, and then uh, 15 was uh, was fun too until you uh, took over, and then you got to go watch some uh, some really good baseball after that as well. Yeah, missed the missed the NCAA <laughs> tournament my first year, and then uh, things kind of flipped around from there. I remember that uh, that morning of the tournament when they when they got left out, and you and I were both like. Uh, we call. I think you called or I called you, and we're like, "What do we do now?" <laughs> like, I don't know. This has never happened. So uh, we had to we had to kind of like go to call an audible and go to plan B or C or D at that point. <laughs> yeah, the plan was to I think call some of the players' numbers we had because we were originally supposed to have a, a watch party that was going to be open to the media, and I actually think Oregon State might have been a little tipped <laughs> off that they were going to get left out because last second we were actually uh, told that it was a closed watch party. <laughs> Um, that maybe should have been a red flag in <laughs> retrospect. Yeah, you know, and then uh, then it was like, yep, no availability to anybody. We're done. <laughs> oh my God, no way. We need something. So if, yeah, fortunately, I think I got a couple of the guys' numbers from the year before, and I'm like, go, just do it. Who cares? See, if we get in trouble, we get in trouble. But it worked. <laughs> well, yeah, they they flipped things around from there. Uh, obviously, riled off back-to-back college World Series appearances. Uh, this weekend, the Beavers are going to play New Mexico twice. They've also got Gonzaga and Minnesota on the upcoming schedule. Um, I just checked the weather it could be a little iffy down there it looks pretty sunny for the most part maybe a slight chance of showers but as always it's certainly going to be we- better weather in arizona than in the valley so you know steve i guess for you what would you say is your biggest question mark surrounding the oregon state baseball team as we enter this kind of interesting 2019 season I think the pitching will be fine, um, obviously, with a lot of guys back. You do lose Luke Heimlich, but, I mean, you got other guys, Kevin Abel and Bryce Femmel, and those guys in a bullpen that's, you know, Mohal and Isert, those guys that have all been through this. And so I think they're pretty – they'll be fine there. But, it, you know, I think the biggest thing, everybody, the lineup. Who's playing where? Can they produce as some of those guys from the last couple of years have produced? Um, are they going to play as well defensively? You know, and so I think just kind of seeing what um, Pat Bailey and the staff – decide where who should play where and how well they're not going to decide the players are actually going to decide where they where they play and who gets to play but just kind of kind of see how they kind of form together these early part of the year I think we're so accustomed to seeing this program excel at such a high level especially the last two years I mean two years we're probably never going to see back to back again um just so to kind of see how this team kind of grinds itself together molds itself together and what they can be once they kind of get to the Pac-12 season Pat Bailey actually gave us uh, the game one defensive lineups today. Um, certainly this will probably change by game two because they tend to start a different lineup every game down there in Arizona. But we do know that Adley Rutschman will, will be the catcher. Shocker. I, I know there are a lot of suspense on that one. Uh, Zach Taylor will once again be over at first. Andy Armstrong will play second base. Junior college transfer Bo Phillip will get the nod at short. 
Jake Ducart, who came over from Oregon State's football team, is going to be the starting third baseman, a Lake Oswego product. We're going to have Tyler Malone out in right field, Kyler McMahon in center, and then Bailey said either Preston Jones or Joe Casey will start in left with Troy Clonch being the designated hitter. So we don't know what the batting order is going to look like yet, but I guess, Steve, from your uh, what, what are kind of your initial impressions then of that lineup, of that defensive lineup, the batting order, and kind of what goes through your head when you hear those names? Well, some of them I don't even recognize because I've been away from the program, so that's why. I mean, I'm sure you understand fair, who fair. some of these, these players are. Um, I do think it was funny. We talked with Tyler Malone today, and he, he's playing outfield for, like, the first time since, like, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to kind of see how he's he's out there. Um, I, you know, I think, like you said, I, this may all change in, in, in game two. So I, I would be more like – if I looked at this lineup, I'd be like, are the Beavers – do they have a chance to win again this year? Because I don't even know who they are. But I'm sure that there are those that are more, you know, into the program that, that know who these players are a little more than I do at this stage of the game. So um, – but, I, you know, it, like I said, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how the, the eight games kind of play out and, and then maybe how they start to form who plays where. But, you know, there's some talented players. I mean, when you have Adley Rutschman in the lineup, you know, wherever you're going to hit him. And Tyler Malone, I mean, I, you, we talked about that today. And with him, it's like – kind of when he got hot this yeah. team really caught fire for sure especially in the postseason and so there's guys there that are that are dangerous um and and i think that as they get an opportunity to be more consistent in the lineup get more ab's that they'll be able to to you know do the job that they need to do look i mean the lineup is going to sort itself out it always seems to i i think the coaching staff really enjoys getting down to arizona and just seeing kind of who wins some of these position battles because really uh when doesn't necessarily always matter what a guy does in practice because once the game lights come on once you actually get on that big stage and surprise stadium you you really don't always know how guys are going to perform and i know throughout the years we've seen a lot of different guys kind of step up after maybe not the best results throughout the preseason or i should say you know preseason practice but then once they get down there there to arizona they just shine so i I think we're all kind of really excited just to see who really does break through. Yeah, you know, you can do so much in practice, but it's it's relaxed. Yeah. There's no pressure on. There's no game situation. You can try to recreate that all you want in practice, but it's difficult. Um, when those, like you said, the bright lights or the bright sunshine <laughs> shines on them, <laughs> hopefully for them, you know, to kind of see when you're in that situation when there's, you know, when it's bases loaded, one out, and you get a ground ball hit to you are you going to make that double play you can do it or you come up in that situation bases loaded with two outs or something are you able to you know drive a run in or with one out are you able to get that Mm -hmm. sack fly that's needed to tie the game or just kind of those situational things that you only get better at in in real game situations and and, and, in real games you covered the Beavers baseball team back in 2013 2014 you know that pitching staff was (laughs) as cranked up as it could be Ben Wetzler, Jace Fry, Andrew Moore, Matt Boyd, who anyone else I'm leaving out there? Uh, well, Scott Schultz, I think, is, you know, yeah, he did a lot of sure. bullpen, but I mean, I think he could have been another starter. Dan Child. Um, Dan Child, yeah, you know, so there was, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, I remember 2014 when you went, Ben Wetzler, Andrew Moore, Jace Fry, that's unfair. I mean, that was <laughs> filthy. And, you know, go left, right, left. And, I mean, they were, they didn't need a bullpen. In those, I mean, they they'd yeah. go seven eight every inning, and then if you had Schultz that could come in and and close it out, I mean, that was that was what they did, and uh, it was pretty impressive to see. I mean, that pitching staff was obviously incredible, earned the team the number one national seed, you know, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but the 2017 team actually is the school record holder for Team ERA, which that staff I don't think we really need to run through just how loaded it was either, with you know Luke Heimlich just leading the way and just I mean seriously so many arms up and down the staff just came through. But, you know, I think there's a world in which this pitching staff 
top to bottom might actually be better than all of them. Now, maybe from a top end talent perspective, no, but just as a collective whole, the staff I, I think can be just incredibly good. What, what do you kind of think on that? I would totally agree. I mean, you got several guys that are in the bullpen that could yeah. come in and start. I mean, you saw, was it Mulholland last year? Yeah. You know, pitched, what, seven innings? In, or was it him that came in? Or was it Isert? I can't remember which well, one. Well, Mulholland, Isert, Pierce, I mean, yeah, all those can guys. Come in Chamberlain can just, all those guys in the bullpen can go so long in relief. And I think that's going to be, that's where you say, like, the depth. I mean, you look at the top-end yeah. talent that some of those teams that I covered had, but the bullpen never was used, so it's hard mm -hmm. to tell how deep that they were. But, I mean, when you look at this, I mean, that's how they won the World Series last year. You know, Absolutely. when they Starters, the starters didn't do as well as you would expect, and the bullpen just came in lights out um, and was able to do stuff. And, and I don't think those guys care, honestly, like if they're starting or if they're relieving. They're going to come and do whatever is needed. They'll fill whatever role that they're comfortable in, in wherever they're at and you know whenever they're coming into a game. So I, I definitely agree with you that this – this team, this pitching staff, could be the deepest that we've seen I in mean, Oregon State. You kind of heard what Kevin Abel said today. They're all outgetters. I don't even know if they really <laughs> see themselves. I, I think he kind of mentioned that they don't even really feel like they have rules. They're all just outgetters. It was a really interesting way to put that, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And I think that's what they do. They go and they're gonna whatever the situation is. They're focused on getting that out. And if they're starting and they got to come and go throw seven, throw eight, throw all nine. You know, or if they're going to come in and they need to come in, you know, in relief to, to get a get get a couple outs, they'd be willing to do that too. They just want to win. So the Pac-12 preseason coaches poll just came out Monday, uh, and Oregon State was picked to finish third behind UCLA and Stanford. Uh, what was your initial response when you saw that? I, I mean, it's not like Oregon State even won the Pac-12 last year. They did win the national title, but you know, I mean, it, I, I think that maybe there was some overreaction on social media to that. I, I felt that was okay and defensible, but what were your kind of initial reactions? Yeah, I mean, when you lose the talent that Oregon State lost, yeah. three first rounders, and how many guys got drafted? Five, six, uh, four, six, seven, six. You know, when you and and they're all pretty high up there. You know, so you've got a lot of talented guys, mm -hmm. a lot of guys that played a lot of innings. You know, um, what's the offense going to look like this year? You know, last year Very the fair. pitching was good, the offense was as good, if not better. And I think when best you that, offense in school history. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have. That's just saying how good the pitching was if the offense was better than the pitching. <laughs> so, I mean, that Makes was just, sense. A, you know, that was just, you know, how good that they were last year. I, you lose a lot. You know, like yeah. you asked me what I think of the lineup. I don't know. And I think that's where I think it's fair third. You know, UCLA's mm -hmm. got players back, Stanford. You know, so Oregon State definitely has some, some, something to prove. Just to say, here, here's our guys. We were backups last year, but we were just as good. We just didn't play because we were behind, you know, um, Nick uh, Madrigal. Madrigal, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna forget Nick Madrigal. How can you forget Nick Madrigal? You know, and Larnick and and Caden Grenier and those guys and and Gretler at third. I mean, Grenier. What did I say? What did I say? Caden Grenier. Hey, what did I say? Grenier. Oh, yeah, see, I can't get it right. I thought you were the pronunciation guy. Uh, no, I just have to spell it right. That's why I'm a print and not on the uh, the radio or TV. But, um, you know, you've so you got so much to lose, you know. And, yeah. and so those guys were behind. Maybe they just didn't play because those guys were so darn good. So we'll find that out. I mean, I think people – I mean, I vote on the AP women's basketball poll, and every week it's a crapshoot for some of those. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this – like, I, I just – that's just kind of how I've ranked them this week. So, you know, I think y you can look at too much stuff into polls and stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, where you are now and where you are in June, it's a, such a long journey that who cares? You know but I what? thought it was fair. 
Yeah, I agree. At this point, who cares about that kind of stuff? The season starts Friday. Let's play some baseball. I don't really care that it's not baseball weather here. It is down in Arizona. I wish I was going. Fortunately, I will not be. But I'll be up here instead because, you know what, there's a ton of great basketball this weekend. Civil War on the men's and women's side. Um, I know we already talked about that the Ducks are really kind of in complete control of the Pac-12 women's race, honestly. Sitting at 23-1 overall, 12-0 in conference play. Uh, the Ducks have won 16 straight 16 games. 16 straight. And even received three first place votes in the latest AP poll. I know, Steve, they, uh, you said you're a voter. Were you one of those? I, yep, I am one of those three. Um, coming off that 84-44, never-before-seen domination of Stanford on the farm was enough to say that's the best, most impressive win that I've seen. And uh, at this point, I mean, it's, it's splitting hairs in some ways, but, hey, why not? Why not be a little bit different? <laughs> I mean, also, too, I mean, that, that – Stanford team that Oregon just uh, demolished. I mean, really, would, would you say uh, pretty much just took care of business against Oregon State, right? Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I don't think Oregon State attacked them the way that they wanted to. Nothing again. You know, Stanford played great. Mm -hmm. They took a lot of stuff away. They forced Oregon State to dribble the ball way mm -hmm. too much and not be able to get inside. And, and you know, Stanford shot the ball well and did a lot of things right. So I think, you know, talking with Scott Ruick a little bit, caught the tail end of some of that as I was running over from baseball. <laughs> um, you know, it's like he just didn't think they – they just didn't play well. That was not indicative of what this team is. They they already kind of flushed it, you know, against Cal the next day, played way better. Mm -hmm. Granted, I don't think Cal is as talented, obviously, as Stanford, but Cal's still a talented team to go on the road and do what they did and come back from a little early deficit and, and, and make the plays down the stretch to, to win is, is, is good to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, take nothing away from Stanford. They played really well. They had a great game plan. Um, I always think Tara gets up a little bit more to play against Scott. Um, just because, you know, Scott's team kind of, they kind of came in and dethroned Stanford. And Stanford hasn't won a Pac 12 regular season title in four seasons. Which and is incredible. They're not going to win about. it this year. So it's going to be five years. And who yeah. are the teams that knocked them out? Three times Oregon State. I mean, Arizona State shared it one year. Mm -hmm. And then Oregon last year. And then it looks like Oregon again this year. So I think, you know, I think she gets. That, that rivalry with Oregon State and Scott, I don't mean it in a bad way. I just think, no. you know, coaches can have rivals with other coaches and who do you want to be. I mean, I was, Scott's tried to look up to Tara and try to emulate what she's done at the program there. So, um, you know, it's like those games are always tough. They, they, they do so much stuff. They're so well coached. Mm -hmm. And then if you can just get one thing to get the other team out of what they do. I mean, I remember up here when they beat Sanford for the first time, you know, Devin Hunter had to hit five three pointers and then they went to a <laughs> zone in the fourth quarter and befuddled Stanford. And it was shocking to kind of see like they couldn't adjust in that fourth quarter. It was just enough. It was just the right coaching move by Scott mm -hmm. at that time. Hey, look, we're going to go to the zone here. We haven't shown it much this year, but we're going to try and see if that works. And it did. And Stanford couldn't solve it for whatever reason, because the next time they played, they tried to throw the zone at Stanford and Stanford won by 20. So it's just, you know, it's interesting to kind of see those two coaches go at it and, and those teams go. And it's, it's usually been close. This one was a blowout, you know, um, which was kind of unexpected, but not surprised. I mean, that's Stanford's a good team and, and they did what they needed to do on on Friday night. I mean, it wasn't like Oregon State played poorly on defensive end. I think holding Stanford to 61 points is probably a pretty good effort overall, honestly. It was just – it was more from an, uh, from an offensive perspective. Yeah. The Beavers just were kind of out of sorts. I mean, so you, you feel like in that win against California, they really started to kind of get back to it maybe after a, a slower first quarter then? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, Aaliyah Goodman was 0 for 7 from the floor against Stanford, and then she went up and, and scored, what, 16, 17? I can't remember what it was against Cal and, and looked mm -hmm. better. And it was the one time she just looked – not there just yeah. not able to get going um 
And but you're right. I mean, defensively they played fine against yeah. Stanford. Um, Michaela Pivik said today this was before Sunday's game. You know, well she said it today, but it was before Sunday's game because Sunday with 44. She said that was the lowest point total Stanford has scored at home this year. Mm-hmm. You know, up until Sunday. And if that's true, I don't know. I didn't look. You know that you would think you hold Stanford to 61. You got a good chance to win with the offense that Oregon mm-hmm. State has. But no, I mean I credit Stanford for for being in the passing lanes, not allowing them to get going and get their sets run. And then a poor shooting night by, by Oregon State doesn't doesn't help when you're mm-hmm. when you're struggling to get good looks. Well, Oregon got the barrier sweep. Oregon State split. Uh, Stanford um, is ranked now what in the polls? They're now 10th, which is one behind Oregon State, yeah. which, which kind of surprised me. I had it reversed. Which would make sense. And like Steve said, Oregon State dropped two spots to ninth in the poll. Beavers are still 24 overall, 10-2 and two in conference play. You know, last year's Civil War series was obviously massive, maybe the biggest ever. But but do you think is this year's actually even bigger than what it was a season ago? You know, I think if you base on rankings and stuff, yes, and and everything. It's interesting though because like Oregon now has a two game lead, mm-hmm. and and this is also later in the season. So there's, you know, last year was earlier in the season, so there was a little bit more wiggle room as to far as what the the standings were looking like. So. But from a ranking standpoint, three and nine, I don't think there's been one. Well, there hasn't been in the eight years I've been covering. This will be yeah. the biggest, you know, there. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a lot of excitement. And I think with Big Monday coming, you know, on on Monday, it's interesting because the Big Monday is coming after they've already played. So <laughs> you could have, like, a blowout on either side in one of them. It takes maybe some of the luster off of the, the Monday game. Or maybe you have just an epic thriller like we had here at Gill last year in the opener you know, that Oregon State won in overtime. And so it'll be, it. you know, but yeah, I definitely think this is maybe one of the most anticipated. I think Oregon is the prohibited favorite. I mean, if you mm-hmm. just look, if you just look at their team and who they have and what they've done this year, you sometimes wonder how does Oregon State compete against that? And that's no slight to Oregon State because they're yeah. really good. But I tweeted it out the other day. I'm like, this might be the best team that comes into Gill Coliseum in the time I've covered the the team now maybe forgetting a Stanford team early on um you know somebody said Notre Dame last year yeah Notre Dame won the national title but Notre Dame came here in November that Notre Dame team was no that came here was nowhere near as good as the one that won at the end of the year so I think right now down the stretch you know we're in the last two-thirds or last third of the conference season this Oregon team I'm like I I ranked them number one I they, they probably are the best team right now in the country so how could they not be the best team that's come in here and and played on this you know on this floor and in the last eight years that i've been covering them i mean i certainly don't think anyone can argue with the fact that the ducks are playing their best basketball of the season right now and probably are playing as the best team in the country and obviously they're led by junior point guard point guard sabrina yonescu yonescu i'm not the pronunciation guy (laughs) i leave that to others but either way, Yonescu, she's the reigning Pac-12 Player of the Week, very deservingly so. And, and really, no matter how you feel about the goofy triple-double stat, uh, she, she's undoubtedly just a terrific player. She can do it all. What, what do you think Oregon State is going to try to do against her to, to try to slow her down, or is that really even possible? I don't know if it's – I mean, it's so – she's such a unique player because she can score when she wants to, but she's also happy to facilitate – or to play off the ball and do some different things. So I've watched a little bit of them this year. You know, some of the Mississippi State game, which I thought was interesting. They had Maite Cazorla mm-hmm. uh, running the point summit and having, you know, Sabrina run off and down on the baseline or in the in the corner and do some different things there. I don't – Oregon State's going to do what they always try to do and take away what they can. But you take away one thing in this offense, then it leads to something else. And she's just so good that way. Um 
I almost say you want to try to make her beat you, but she can, so you don't want to. Bold strategy. Um, you know, I mean, but they, sometimes you'll do that. Like, hey, like, you know, played against Christina Nigway, you know, on Saturday, and she got whatever she got. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of the team, if you can hold them down, like, they were in control until Asia Thomas decides to hit some threes. Yeah, they hit some threes, order. though. So, you know, that that's what made the game close all of a sudden. So, I mean, if you can take away others, but, I mean, she's so good she'll take herself out and try and get others involved and, and is able to do that. So how do you defense her? I don't know. I don't think they've ever really done a, I mean, like last year she went crazy here and got him into overtime and then she was really good down there. So I don't, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know if anybody has really been able to slow her down. Well, I guess the answer is know? no one really has been able right. to at least fully slow her down. And if you do, the Ducks just have so many other weapons. <laughs> I mean, they, they are, they are the best offensive team in the country right yeah, I mean the there is no doubt about best that. efficiency everything they're 90.2 points a game you know I mean you look at all five starters are in double figures from wow. 19.3 to 10.4 10.9 I can't read my chicken scratch here you know and I mean it's it's a lot of scoring and very balanced that's all you need they, to know they're, they're starting five scores 77 points a game which is more than most teams you know I mean and, and, and they <laughs> they seem to do it in it with ease yeah you know they're they're shooting 52.6 from the floor and 43.8 from three. I mean, that's just incredible, you know, and they also are up there. They, they 20 assists a game, you know, they rebound the ball. Well, you know, the, 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 the talk has always been, they don't play defense. Um, and Scott Ruick just kind of said, they're starting to do that more. Mm-hmm. And I've heard Kelly Graves, Oregon's coach sometimes say, yeah, we don't play defense well. And we really didn't play it tonight, you know, but I think that, that, that they are playing it a little bit better and when they need to. I mean, if you hold Stanford, even if Stanford shoots poorly, you hold Stanford to 44 points. Yeah. That you're doing something right. It's not just, you know, that they're missing a lot of shots. I mean, you're going to force them to miss some shots in, in that case. So, From an Oregon State perspective, you know, the, the Beavers are just having another tremendous season under Scott Rook. Uh, we're a little past the halfway point in Pac-12 play here. So overall, how would you kind of rate this Oregon State team. I mean, Destiny Slocum has clearly been a big impact player at point guard, and the Beavers do seem to be holding things together despite a couple really key injuries in the rotation. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, you look at they played 12 games in the non-conference season. You know, we're 10 and two. Could have been 12 and 0. I think they, the Texas A&M game, they just didn't play well from the start. Notre Dame, they had them up. They were up, you know, double figures at one point, and they were, you know, tied going into the fourth. So. Um, that was a different team than the one now, and all teams do. But when Cat Tudor went down in the mm-hmm. opener against Washington State, it changed what Oregon State has tried to do. So I think you're starting to kind of see this team now. And even, you know, um, Matty Washington missed a game, and, and they went to a smaller lineup, and they ran more. So I think you're kind of seeing just this evolution of this team. And I think, yes, they want to win Pac-12 titles, and they want to compete mm-hmm. and do all that. But they're really building toward March. So I think this season has been phenomenal. You know, when you lose someone of Cat Tudor's, you know, ability. I mean, yeah, she was only averaging 12.3, but you're not going to get a lot of players to score a lot of points, and it's because they want to spread the ball around. But she was hitting 43% of her threes or 45% of her threes and, you know, shooting close to 50% even for just overall from the floor. You take that out, they've had to redesign what they do. Yes, they've got talented players to kind of come off the bench, but you lose one of those guards, you're just not as deep. I mean, Oregon's not deep either. They go nine, you know, and so if anybody were to get hurt for them, that would, you know, put a big crimp in what they want to do the ultimate goal 
at least for Oregon State, it was nice that it happened early. If if you can ever say it's nice that someone has a season-ending injury, um, <laughs> no, I know what you're, I know and, what you're saying. But they've had time to kind of adjust, and so now they're starting to play better and kind of getting used to everybody and the, the new roles that have had to be taken on. You know, Joe Grimmick's doing better. You know, at the the post position, mm-hmm. she's I mean, she's averaging seven something a game in Pac-12 play, mm-hmm. and some of that is garbage time. Let's you know there are some things, but she's also been able to get out there and some other times and, and has really looked good um and so i think she's improving uh so this team is really building towards what happens in march pac-12 tournament and into march and where they can make maybe another run but i mean 20 and 4 you can't be upset with that i mean if if you're going to tell me that every year that this team is going to be 20 and 4 at this point you have to take that you have and you have to enjoy that 100 i mean it's it's incredible just kind of the just the development of this program from when you know we thought yeah, you're going to some 32, 33. There were a couple of special teams in there, and, and you're going to get those from time to time. And, like, I think Oregon has one of those seasons. Where this is a special team. This is a special season. Mm-hmm. They can do a lot of stuff. This season, I, I didn't think it was the season that they were going to do a whole lot of stuff. You got a lot of new players into different positions, you know, and with Andre Aquino not able to play this year or not playing this year, you know, the post position, they haven't they, – every year they've had a center that can – that can do stuff you think back to you know even before ruth and but with ruth and and uh hamlin and marie gulich the last six years before this kind of anchoring some stuff they don't have that this year and it's had to change what they've been able to you know what they've tried to do offensively and a little bit defensively and they've done a great job with it i mean they easily the only game they that they really were out of that they lost is the stanford game where they just really got taken out of that game and that was the one arizona state here you know, I think they proved it, you know, two weeks later here against Utah in a game where, okay, we got to figure out what to do. They figured out what to do and they made plays down the stretch where against Arizona State, they looked lost at times as who was going to take the ball. And, you know, Destiny Slocum, for all that she's done, there's still times where Scott's gone with Aaliyah Goodman running the point in crunch time. Just He just feels like she knows the offense a little bit better. And you can criticize that if you want to. I always think coaches know what their kids can do. They're in with them every day in practice. I don't see them every day in practice, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of times it's worked. And maybe he wishes he could have had that one back. But coaches have to learn too and learn what your team can do in situations. And so I think it's been a fantastic season up to this point. I definitely think this class, these last six games are going to be tough for them. You know, these two with Oregon, you get the L.A. schools here. UCLA has won six in a row. Um, you know, if they get enough, they could come in here with eight, eight or not. Well, eight, they got to play Oregon first. So maybe they won't be on a winning streak still, but mm-hmm. you know, um, they're, they're playing much better now. And USC is always one that gives them fits. And then you got to go to Arizona, Arizona state. I mean, that's a tough, it's, it's this last half of the PAC 12 season has just been brutal on them. They're going to out of the nine games. I mean, they're going to, there's no, there's no gimme in there. No. And back to cat for a second before yeah. we, uh, before we wrap up, I think we can all remember, when she awkwardly fell in the Washington State game, right down, right down there, there to our left, uh, right by the Pac-12 logo, um, it, it didn't look good in the moment. And our friend Ronald Clark from KZI, he had video of the play from down the court, and we watched it. And, and sadly, I mean, you don't know for sure, but sadly, I think we knew, and she kind of knew in the moment too. And Kat, she had surgery uh, toward the end of January and seemed to be in good spirits overall based on the story that you just had on her that ran about a week ago, right? Yeah, she is. Um, I actually dropped off a couple copies of the story I did at her house the other day, and so it was nice, nice to see. We've been kind of texting back and forth a little bit and, and everything. She's my daughter's favorite player now, so we've been praying for her every night. We told her, hey, we'd be prayer warriors for you. But she's she's handled this so well. I mean, she has been upbeat and positive and um, 
not an easy thing to do. I know it was really, really tough on her. I know her parents have been up with her too, which has been helpful, but she's got a ton of support. You know, she feels it, you know, the card that Beaver Nation signed for her. That was incredible. It was really, really cool. I think all those things have helped her, but yeah, she's, she's been in really good spirits. She obviously was tough this last weekend because she's from the Bay area, did not Mm -hmm. get to go on that trip, but she says she will get to go to Arizona, Arizona state. So you know, she's got a long road ahead of her, um, but no, she's she's embracing the moment as best as you can. Um, I know it was devastating at first, but now when you go up and talk with her, she's got a smile on her face, and she's she was willing to sit down and relive that moment. And sometimes, it's, you know, we tell these stories, and sometimes we have to ask those awkward questions like, so take me back to that moment when you blew your knee out. And yeah. What was the going worst, through your head? The worst like, moment in your life. Yeah, take I me back don't, to it. Yeah. I don't really want to ask you this, but then please tell me and be honest and make it be a tear jerker so I have a good story to tell. You know, but she did it. She sat down and said, no, I'm fine. I've, I've come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. I can talk about it. I've already, trust me, I've already gone through all these, these, I've already thought through all these situations and everything else. And, and so, um, you know, she is going to try to pursue getting a red shirt year i mm-hmm. she's played over the the you know the maximum but you never know how things play out with the ncaa so um i don't think they'll learn anything about that until after the season obviously they're focused right now on getting through this season and then they can go do that um you know if she could get that year back it'd be great um she's also said it's still way too early to to put a timetable on her return a lot of it's going to depend on how hard she works at it and she's made a commitment that she's going to work really hard to get back as soon as she can but we all know that bodies heal differently on everybody so it'll be interesting to kind of see first if she gets that year back and if not if she's not able to go early does she decide to just come back anyway you know what if it's not until january do you or do you just sit out and go like i want to play a whole more one more whole season Uh, you know that we're way away from you know looking at and speculating on what would happen there but i think there might be some interesting decisions that come out of all these things maybe some dominoes that fall into there and and the potential of this next year's team with who they're bringing in i know i'm getting off script here a little bit but you know there is no script they've got the the opportunity to be a really really good next year so you have you definitely want her back in that line they're better with her in there that's for sure yeah and as you mentioned, Kat, she's got a long time away until she has to make some of those uh, decisions. Hopefully she heals well every single ACL injury. Uh, it, it, there's always there's a different process for every single person, as we know. So we all wish Kat the best, and I know nothing would make her happier than to watch Oregon State get a couple big wins this weekend. Yeah, she would be. I mean, you know, she, she's still got the knee brace on, and she's on crutches. Um I'm not quite sure where those crutches would end up if they were to pull out a couple of wins and her, her celebration because she's she's excited about this team and what they're able to do and she's being as big of a cheerleader mm-hmm. as she can hopefully not too much to, to make sure that she can you know not re-injure or do anything you know to that knee no as she's trying to heal so maybe calm down a little bit but i'm sure she'd be over the moon for if that were to happen well, it is pretty clear that Oregon State will will need to sweep here this weekend to have any chance of winning the Pac-12. Uh, so let's go ahead and put ourselves in the future. It's Tuesday morning after the Civil War series, and Oregon State did it. They they found a way. They pulled off the an improbable sweep, underdogs maybe in both games, certainly on the road. In your mind, if they were able to do that, how how did that happen? What went right for them that allowed them to pull off the what would be seen as an incredibly improbable sweep? Boy, both games. That's just. I mean, I, it's hard for me to see either of these teams. I mean, sweeping both easily. I mean, it's going to come down to you've oh, got to. Sure. You've got to. You've or for Oregon State, they will have had to play their two best defensive performances of the year. I mean, I don't think that's a shocker with how good Oregon is. I think you're going to need Oregon to be off a little bit too because mm-hmm. they're just so efficient. You're going to have to do something that takes them out. Um, 
and then Oregon State's going to need to hit open shots. Uh, they they work their offense well enough, and I think they'll get good looks against Oregon. I mean, Oregon's not as good defensively, statistically. I mean, now they could play well and do that. They're not as you know, good defensively as Stanford. Right, we all Stanford, know it. Right. We all so know it. So if you, if you make those shots, you take and make those shots. I mean, it's always a, it's a make or miss. Basketball is just a make or miss thing. But if you can hit those open Gotta looks. Got to make shots. Yeah, you know, I mean, do those <laughs> things. And, and they get some performance. You're going to need more than just one player. But I'm really interested to see how Destiny Slocum changes up this offense against it. I think you're going to see two teams that are going to – it's going to become a track meet in a lot of ways. you know. And if that's why I say if Oregon State can play defense, they're going to need to, to work in the half court, not turn the ball over and give up runouts. They can beat this team. Can they do it twice? I'm not sold on that. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a homer. Um, I just, I just think this Oregon team is so, so good. But if they were to do that, and you look at there, then you have got to start thinking like, wow, we've got a potential to get to the Final Four, because that could upset the balance of power. I mean, that you know, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. But yeah, one win by Oregon, and that's all but sealed up the the conference. Two of them, and then we're looking at Stanford with two losses. Oregon State with mm-hmm. two losses, Oregon with two losses with with six games to go. Wow, well, wouldn't that be something? Or four games to go? Yeah, four games. Four to games game. to go. Yeah, I mean, how how crazy would that be? If you were forced to make a prediction, would you go with the easy answer and say they split with each team protecting home court, or do you think uh, Oregon has a, a better shot of actually sweeping the series? If I had to put money on it, I would probably put money on Oregon sweeping. Um, I it's not that I don't think Oregon State can mm-hmm. win, but if I had to go. You know, if you got, I mean, I, the hardest part is, and so like last year, I honestly thought Oregon might get the sweep. I remember you saying and, that. We talked about that the, in the, the office. The first game was here at Gill. And again, it took a special performance from Kat Tudor, who, remember, she's 34. I mean, it just seemed mm-hmm. like she hit like 8,000 threes. Like anything she threw up there I think went it was 7,000. Yeah, okay, 7,000. You know, and so she's not on the court this time. And it was here. And then it, and even then, Sabrina. How do you leave her? She got open, step back three to tie it, send it to overtime. You know, and then Katie McMillions makes that three point play right over there in front of the Oregon State bench. Yeah, it was right there. You know, in Oregon, you know, in overtime and, and completed the four point play to seal it. But I mean, it took it took a Herculean effort last year, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that with Marie in the post, it gave them a little bit of an edge there. And so, I, you know, it'll be, but, but Destiny Slocum, point guard, now there's a lot of stuff there that, that kind of goes. But if the first game were here again, I would say I would almost guarantee a split, but it's going to be difficult to come back. You know, if, if you lose big on – I think a lot depends, too, on how well you play on Friday. If, you hold, if you're close with them down there, you're going to have some confidence here. If you lose by 20, that confidence might take a little bit of a Fair hit. Point. It's a little bit more difficult to win here. So I'm – I'm, I hope it'd be a sweep or a split. Just he because, hopes for a sweep. <laughs> no, for a split because I think it just shows. I, I think it's awesome that you know. I mean, I know the Oregon State fans are like, oh, Oregon, how this all happened? We don't like them being there. But I think it's just for women's basketball in the state of Oregon right now. This is fantastic. You've got for the next two years, the regional is in Portland, mm-hmm. so you're looking at these two teams battling to get to Portland, and I think to have both of them have split again this year would be great. I don't think it hurts Oregon at all as far as still staying a one seed or at no, least being a two seed going to going to portland you know it, it shouldn't by the end of the thing and especially if they were to go through and then win the the pac-12 tournament you know i think oregon state needs both and then win and they could move themselves up into at least being the two seed in portland you know 
Um, but I just think it's great. And I want to see two competitive games. I mean, that game last year, this that game here last year was awesome. It was so much fun. It had everything. It just, it really did. You had great players making great plays, and then it took one shot at the end to kind of seal it. Finally, you're just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I'd love to see those. Just as a fan, I think it's great. I mean, I'm not a fan of either team. Everybody thinks because I'm the beat writer, I got to be cheering for Oregon State. Well, of course, it's more fun when they win because the players are more fun to talk with. It's just more upbeat. But I want to see good games. And if they lose, they lose. If they win, they win. You know, I'm going to write about it either way. But I just want to see some good games. And that's what I'm hopeful for. Well, my only prediction for this weekend is that we are going to see two good games. <laughs> I really do have a feeling they are going to be great. And, Steve, seriously, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, do you think you might maybe join us again later on this winter, depending when, on how things play out? Whenever you want me, I'm happy. I love talking. <laughs> That's <laughs> I true. I don't like to shut up. I'm, I've got, a, I've got a, a face for radio and a voice for TV. Is that what it is? Uh, or something? I don't know. I or, think or I've got neither. <laughs> I think I'm all the, I'm, I'm all below radio, whatever. The, uh, podcasting, I guess. That's yeah, there you go. No, I love to tell you. Anytime you want to have me on, I'd be happy to talk about something. <laughs> for sure. Well, that's Steve Grass, sports editor, plus a lot of other things for the, the Corvallis Gazette Times and my former boss. And if you're a women's basketball fan, he is an absolute must-follow on Twitter. He's got you updated all over the Pac-12. Steve, thanks again. Yep, you bet, Bob. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. It's always great to catch up with good old Steve. Um, I'm not sure I found a topic that he doesn't enjoy talking about. Now, I really regret not bringing up his love for Duke basketball and Alabama football. So maybe we can uh, rib him about that next time. In wrapping up, the Oregon State men will be hosting Oregon at 7.30 p.m. Saturday for the second leg of the Civil War. The Beavers, of course, won the first meeting in Eugene, back to open Pac-12 play. To be honest, I don't really know what to make of this game or the Beavers at this point. Oregon is just so inconsistent that it's tough to really analyze anything about them. They, they have a lot of talent, but uh, they're, they're certainly missing Bulbul on both ends of the court and just lack a certain level of consistency on a nightly basis. Oregon State uh, is coming off a split at home of the barrier schools and is in a three-way tie for second in the Pac-12 with Arizona State and Utah at 7-4. and four. The Ducks are also right there at 6-5. and five. So part of me thinks Oregon will win this game just because Dana Altman's team's tend to play better in the second half of the year. But Oregon State is going to have the best player in Trace Tinkle and home court advantage at Gill Coliseum. 
This is the kind of game the Beavers just absolutely have to win if they want to grab one of those top four seeds at the Pac-12 tournament. So it's kind of a, a weirdly big game. I'm not sure this Civil War matchup has as much hype as the women's one just because the Oregon and Oregon State women are so great and the men's teams are somewhat mediocre this year, although the Oregon State men are probably a little bit above that, but not an NCAA tournament caliber team to this moment. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup on the men, on the men's side, and uh, we'll have to see if the Beavers can, can get it done here. So thanks again for tuning in to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Please check us out on thatcast.com and iTunes, where this podcast is now available. Enjoy the games this weekend, and I'll be back next week with another episode. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.